Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The Raven Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. The death of Edgar Allan Poe was as mysterious as the stories he wrote. It has remained one of the great mysteries of the literary world, the strange death of Edgar Allan Poe at the age of 40, having died perhaps the most famous American horror writer, of all. Poe's death was the stuff of which mystery is spun. The acclaimed poet and writer whose poem, The Raven, is one of the world's best-known pieces of horror writing, had traveled to Baltimore, Maryland, where he disappeared for several days. He was discovered by strangers late at night, disheveled and raving, inside a notorious city saloon. A doctor friend of Poe's named Jay Snodgrass found Poe in a terrible state and wearing somebody else's clothes. Snodgrass assumed he was drunk, and with the help of a relative of Poe, checked him into a hospital. Poe's condition did not improve. Over the next few days, he lapsed in and out of consciousness. When he was awake, he would shout random phrases and repeated the name Reynolds. Reynolds. No one has ever identified whoever Poe was referring to. Snodgrass's account is given in the story to follow. Poe died in the early hours of October 7, 1849. Even his final words were uncertain. One account had him saying, Lord, help my poor soul, while another had him reciting a poetic verse about God and demons. The strange circumstances of his death prompted a huge bout of speculation, fueled by a searing obituary published by an enemy of Poe who accused him of various crimes and scandalous sexual affairs. The controversy still lingers, and to add yet one more mysterious footnote, in the years after his death, a man dressed all in black has visited the original grave in Baltimore, leaving three roses and a half-drunk bottle of cognac each time. No one knows who this person or persons was, but for 80 years the visits continued until just a few years ago. Crowds still linger there every year, hoping to catch a glimpse of the veiled figure known as the Poe Toaster. Welcome to another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This one from our Mysteries series is titled The Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe. And this episode has been remade from an earlier episode to which we have added quite a bit, including the legend of the mysterious Poe Toaster for your enjoyment. And now, our story. 
Edgar Allan Poe's works have been in print since 1827 and are known worldwide. Most people can quote a few lines from The Raven or Annabelle Lee. You may also remember reading The Telltale Heart and The Fall of the House of Usher in English class. The Poe Museum in Richmond writes, The breadth of Edgar Allan Poe's influence on our culture is incalculable. He invented the detective story, contributed to the development of both science fiction and the horror genre, and wrote about the only American poem anybody knows, certainly the only one popular enough to have an NFL team, the Baltimore Ravens, named after it. His aesthetic themes have influenced such cultural figures as Salvador Dali, Charles Baudelaire, and Alfred Hitchcock, who credited Poe's works with inspiring him to make suspense films. A century and a half after his death, Poe still makes appearances on television shows like The Following and South Park, as well as the upcoming movies The Telltale Heart, starring Rose McGowan, and Stonehurst Asylum with Kate Beckinsale and Michael Caine. In addition to numerous Poe societies, including ones in Denmark and the Czech Republic, there are museums devoted to him in Richmond, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and the Bronx. Opened in 1922, the Poe Museum in Richmond boasts the world's largest collection of Poe's personal items and memorabilia. To most of us, the name Edgar Allan Poe conjures up images of graveyards, murderers and madmen, and loves lost through the shrouds of time. Some are tales of terror, and others contain haunting poetry. He is also considered by many to be the father of the modern-day detective story. On September 27, 1849, what was to be Poe's last day in Richmond, he was showing serious flu symptoms, and his fiancée, Elmira Royster Shelton, warned him not to travel and talked him into seeing his doctor, which he did. His doctor also advised against the trip. Keep in mind at this early point of the story that his doctor, only a year previously, thinking that Poe had a possible lesion near his brain, which would set off serious reactions, had advised Poe to stop all alcohol consumption. Poe had earned a bad reputation while living in Baltimore for his bouts with alcohol and left few friends or supportive relatives behind. Poe was staying at the Swan Hotel in Richmond and apparently spent a few last hours with friends before leaving with them to catch a midnight boat, which would begin his trip to Philadelphia via Baltimore. When Poe reached Baltimore, he immediately dropped out of sight. He was found in Baltimore on October 3rd by a print setter named Joseph W. Walker inside Ryan's 4th Ward Poles on Lombard Street near High Street in the Fells Point area, wearing clothes that did not fit him well and appearing very drunk and in the company of strangers. And this is where the mystery of his death begins. Poe was always a neatly dressed man. He preferred the company of men of his stature and position in society, as was the way of gentlemen in those times, and had developed, in the opinions of some, a total aversion to alcohol. Walker sent a fast notice requesting help from a close friend of Poe named Joseph E. Snodgrass, who lived nearby. Walker had recognized Poe and knew Snodgrass to be Poe's friend. Snodgrass was a teacher, editor, and fellow writer and critic, and Poe had known him while living in Baltimore, and had recently written him on a number of occasions, the last letter asking him why he had not returned correspondence and asking for a positive mention in his next articles or critiques. It is possible that Poe was stopping in Baltimore to see his friend Snodgrass when he was sidetracked. Walker's letter for help read, Dear Sir, there is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward Poles, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe, and who appears in great distress, and he says he is acquainted with you, and I assure you 
He is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker. Snodgrass was notified immediately and appeared in the barroom turned polling place, locating Poe, who looked to be in a state of total drunkenness. Wanting to remove Poe from the crowd of people in the bar area, Snodgrass arranged for a room upstairs and was immediately confronted with Edgar Allan Poe's uncle, Henry Herring, who suggested that Poe be taken to a hospital rather than brought upstairs. Herring confided in Snodgrass at that time that he had seen Poe in drunken states before during the years that he lived in Baltimore, and that Washington University Hospital on Broadway would be a best solution. He and Walker carried Poe to a hack and drove him to the hospital. Having been found unresponsive, Poe was initially presumed to have been suffering from an alcoholic spree and assigned to a room in the tower where special cases were placed to avoid disturbing the other patients. In later years, Dr. John J. Moran, the attending physician, acclaimed that he came to think that Poe had not been drinking. Poe died on October 7, 1848, after suffering for four days with only brief moments of clarity. Near his death, he cried out, Reynolds, more than once. In Poe's distressed state, he made reference to a wife in Richmond. He may have been delusional, thinking that his wife, Virginia, was still alive, or he may have been referring to Sarah Elmira Royster, to whom he had recently proposed. He did not know what happened to his trunk of belongings, which, it transpired, had been handed to a porter at the Baltimore station. A second trunk had been left behind at the Swan Hotel in Richmond. Moran reported that Poe's final words were, Lord, help my poor soul, before dying on October 7th. The final diagnosis was phrenitis, or swelling of the brain. A number of theories have been brought forth as to the mysterious events surrounding Poe's death, his disappearance in Baltimore, his being found in a drunken, near-delirious state with a group of strangers, his missing luggage, and the fact that he was dressed in someone else's clothes, with none of his personal effects, other than his cane, present. One popular theory was that he was cooped. It was voting day in Baltimore, and there was a criminal practice in place at the time called cooping, where strangers would be forced by a group of thugs to consume large amounts of alcohol and then be forced to vote numerous times for a candidate they had no knowledge of. They were then usually robbed of their valuables and turned loose on the streets to fend for themselves. Edgar Allan Poe, carrying his briefcase, his borrowed sword cane, which he was said to have taken on this trip, his fine clothes, and with his valuables very likely hidden on his person, probably looked like an easy target to any bunch of thugs hanging around outside a bar which for one day was serving as a polling place. The alternative, which is also possible, is that Poe stopped in for a drink, and one drink led to another, and a type of brain aneurysm resulted from his pre-existing condition. Other theories ranging from murder to rabies to death from the flu abound, but the strongest theories revolve around alcohol and the possibility that he was a victim of cooping, which would explain why he was wearing someone else's clothing, his having been stolen. In the years after Poe's untimely death, Dr. Snodgrass wrote an article for Beatles Monthly entitled The Facts of Poe's Death and Burial in May of 1867 for the purpose of settling what had become a swirling controversy as to the real cause of Poe's death. At the core of the controversy was an article titled Memoir, which was posted in a New York newspaper written almost immediately after Poe's death by a fellow writer from Baltimore named Rufus Griswold, whom Poe had constantly criticized. Griswold was out to defame Poe, which he accomplished in the long run, but for the immediate future it only served to spur sales of Poe's books. 
The article seriously defamed Poe, calling him a drug-addled, drunken, womanizing madman with no friends. Griswold then signed the article under a false name, and all this while Griswold was fighting with Poe's sister in Baltimore for possession of the trunk that Poe had brought to Baltimore for his travels. Here is Snodgrass's article, which took him 18 years from the date of Poe's death to write. He had kept quiet through all those years, probably because he felt that Poe was responsible for his own death, ignoring the advice of his doctor and fiancé in Richmond, and allowing himself to be found in a drunken stupor yet one more time, this time a deadly one. And Snodgrass saw no need to pile onto the damage that Griswold's article, mean-spirited but largely truthful, had already done. At any rate, Snodgrass felt compelled to tell what he felt was the truth about the whole matter, when he saw a quote in the American Cyclopedia that Poe's death was not the result of a drunken debauchery. Having witnessed what he felt was definitely a bout of drunkenness himself, Snodgrass wanted to set them straight, but do it in a way that still gave credit to his friend's many accomplishments. And here his writing begins. In Beatles Monthly, for February, I find some statements respecting the cause and manner of the death of Edgar Allan Poe, and, as a possessor of the facts of the case, I feel to be due to the truth of history that I should narrate them. The first statement to which I refer is in these words. Quote, it is asserted in the American Cyclopedia that Edgar Poe died in consequence of a drunken debauch. This is not true. End quote. I regret to say, with due respect to the author of this assertion, and at the same time to the memory of one who was my personal friend, that it is, alas, only too true. The facts of the case are simply these. On Tuesday, November 1, 1849, a wet and chilly day, I received a note bearing a signature which I recognized as that of a printer named Walker who had set type for the Baltimore Saturday Visitor while I was editing it and thus became aware of my deep interest in Mr. Poe. It stated that a man claiming Poe's name and to be acquainted with me was at Cooth and Sargent's Tavern in Lombard Street near High Street, Baltimore, in a state of beastly intoxication and evident destitution, and that he had been heard to utter my name as that of an acquaintance. I immediately repaired to the drinking saloon, for such it was, although dignified by the designation of tavern, and, sure enough, there was Edgar Allan Poe, in a condition which had been too faithfully described by Mr. Walker. He was in the barroom, sitting in an armchair, with his head dropped forward, so stupefied by liquor, and so altered from the neatly dressed and vivacious gentleman which he was when I last had the pleasure of a call from him, that, unaided, I should not have distinguished him from the crowd of less intoxicated men whom the occasion of an election had called together at the tavern as the voting place of the ward in which it was located. Knowing from observation on a former occasion, when he presented himself at my editorial rooms while intoxicated, that the strain of his conversation would be neither agreeable to me nor creditable to my unfortunate friend, if able to converse at all, and considering the company of unsympathetic tipplers who stared at me as I entered their bacchanalian haunt, I thought it best not to attempt to arouse him from his stupidity. Instead of so doing, I at once ordered a room for him. I had already accompanied a waiter upstairs, with a view to selecting a sufficiently retired apartment, and had done so, and was returning to the barroom for the purpose of having the evidently undesired guest conveyed to his allotted chamber, when I was met at the head of the stairway by Mr. H., who we know now to be named Herring, a relative of Mr. Poe's by marriage. He suggested a hospital as a better place for him than the tavern. 
I admitted the correctness of this suggestion, but some remate of mine having caused his relative to explain why he had not suggested a still better place, his own dwelling, he stated the reason to be that Mr. Poe had, quote, so frequently abused his hospitality by his rudeness as well as vulgarity of his bearing while drunk toward the ladies of his household that he couldn't think for a moment of taking him to his house in his present besotted condition. For a moment, I confess, I felt resentful toward his friend, but I subsequently became satisfied that he was justified in the course he pursued. The Washington College Hospital having been fixed upon, a messenger was dispatched to procure a carriage. While awaiting its arrival, I had an opportunity to observe, more closely than I had taken time to do previously, the condition and apparel of the strangely metamorphosed being in the barroom, who wore a name which was a synonym for genius, the first glance at whose tout ensemble was well calculated to recall Poe's own so frequently hinted doctrine of the metempsychosis. His face was haggard, not to say bloated, and unwashed, his hair unkempt, and his whole physique repulsive. His expansive forehead with its wonderful breadth between the points where the phrenologists locate the organ of ideality, the widest I ever measured, and that full-orbed and mellow yet soulful eye for which he was so noticeable when himself, now lusterless and vacant, as shortly I could see, were shaded from view by a rusty, almost brimless, tattered and ribbonless palm-leaf hat. His clothing consisted of sack coat of thin and sleazy black alpaca, ripped more or less at several of its seams, and faded and soiled, and pants of a steel-mixed pattern of cassonette, half-worn and badly fitting, if they could be said to fit at all. He wore neither vest nor neckcloth, while the bosom of his shirt was both crumpled and badly soiled. On his feet were boots of coarse material, and giving no sign of having been blacked for a long time, if ever. The carriage having arrived, we tried to get the object of our care upon his feet, so that he might more easily be taken to it. But he was past locomotion. We therefore carried him to the coach as if he were a corpse, and lifted him into it in the same manner. While we were doing this, what was left of one of the most remarkable embodiments of genius the world has produced in all the centuries of its history, the author of a single poem, which alone has been adjudged by more than one critic as entitling its producer to a lasting and enviable fame, was so utterly voiceless as to be capable of only muttering some scarcely intelligible oaths and other forms of imprecation upon those who were trying to rescue him from the destitution and disgrace. The carriage was driven directly to the hospital, where its unconscious occupant was assigned to the care of its intelligent and kindly resident physician. Of the numerous and strangely contradictory memoirs of Mr. Poe that I have preserved, there lies one before me, which states that insanity ensued, and that next morning he died, a miserable, raving maniac. As to time, this is not true. He lived nearly a week, instead of dying next day, as one account has it, or in a few hours, as others record it, dying on the 7th of the same month, Monday. Besides, it might convey the idea that he had no lucid moments, but he had, and in one of these an incident transpired which, while its mention may serve to extend the already long as well as interesting record of the last words of noted men, it will be recognized as anything but characteristic of Mr. Poe, who was always haunted by a terrible, though vague, apprehension of death and the grave. 
When the hospital physician became satisfied that the author of William Wilson, a favorite tale of Mr. Poe's, and of The Raven, had written his last story and his last poem, he addressed him concernedly and kindly, saying, Mr. Poe, it is my painful duty to inform you that you have, in my judgment, only a very short time to live. If you have any friends whom you would like to see, name them, and your wish shall be gratified. I will summon them. Friends! Friends! exclaimed the dying son of genius. Friends! repeating the word for a moment, as if it had no longer a definite meaning. My best friend would be he who would take a pistol and blow out these damned wretched brains, pressing his hand to his forehead as he uttered the awful imprecation. During the six days of Mr. Poe's survival after he was placed in the hospital, he had only a few intervals of rationality, one of which was availed of as just described, that his disease was mania a potu, I have never for a moment doubted. As an isolated fact, the probabilities do not sustain it, to say nothing of its alleged fatal results. I now proceed to give the true version of the place and manner of Mr. Poe's burial. Among the false statements I have met with was one to the effect that he had been buried in the potter's field of his native city. As one of only three, or perhaps four, persona, not counting the undertaker and the drivers of the hearse, and a single carriage, which made up the entire funeral train of the author of The Raven, who followed the body to the grave, I am happy to be able to testify that the truth, bad enough as it is, does not sustain this story. The burying place of Poe was an old one belonging to the Westminster Presbyterian Church, which had ceased to be used much in 1849 because of its location in a populous portion of Baltimore, in Green Street. There were many old vaults in it, and when our little cortege reached it, I naturally consoled myself with the thought that his relatives, two of whom were present, and one of these, the officiating clergyman, had secured him at least a temporary resting place in one of those family tombs. But it proved to be otherwise. A grave had been dug among the crumbling mementos of mortality. Into this, the plainly coffined body was speedily lowered, and then the earth was shoveled directly upon the coffin lid. This was so unusual, even in the burials of the poor, that I could not help noticing the absence of not only the customary box as an enclosure for the coffin itself, but of even the commonest boards to prevent the direct contact of the decomposing wet earth with it. I shall never forget the emotion of disappointment, mingled with disgust and something akin to resentment, that thrilled through my whole being as I heard the clods and stones resound from the coffin lid and break the more than ordinary solemn stillness of the scene as it impressed me. It seemed as if heartlessness, too often found directing the funeral rites of the poor and forsaken ones of earth, had suddenly become personified into a malign goddess, and that she had ordered those awfully discordant sounds as best befitting her own unearthly mood. At the head and foot of the grave, a piece of common undressed pine board, as unlettered as unsuited, was placed. In quotes, it read, Only this, and nothing more. Nor has any more befitting head or footpiece ever been substituted for the ones I have described, although there has been much talk about rescuing the retrains of the author of The Raven from their obscurity and building a monument worthy of his genius. Recently, a Poe Monument Association has been started in Baltimore, and some well-intended but rather spasmodic efforts have been made, through lectures or concerts, to raise the funds necessary to build the proposed memento, 
but I believe with very inconsiderable results. But it is hoped that Beatles Monthly will prove to have furnished a channel of influence upon the public mind, not only in the most concerned city of Baltimore, the birthplace as well as the death and burial place of Poe, through which a fresh stimulus shall be applied more widely and successfully than heretofore, resulting in the erection of the proposed monument at no very distant day. Signed, J.E. Snodgrass, M.D. Chris Semter, curator of the Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, summed it up with these words. Poe's death, shrouded in mystery, seems ripped directly from the pages of one of his own works. He had spent years crafting a careful image of a man inspired by adventure and fascinated with enigmas. A poet, a detective, an author, a world traveler who fought in the Greek War of Independence and was held prisoner in Russia. But though his death certificate listed the cause of death as phrenitis or swelling of the brain, the mysterious circumstances surrounding his death have led many to speculate about the true cause of Poe's demise. Maybe it's fitting that since he invented the detective story, he left us with a real-life mystery. We've had some fans of the show write in and ask us to tell the strange story of the Poe toaster, and here's what we know. For almost 80 years, every January 19th, a mysterious figure clad in black paid an annual tribute to the original site of Poe's grave. The shadowy figure, who has come to be known as the Poe Toaster, would pour himself a glass of cognac and raise a toast to Poe's memory, then vanish into the night, leaving three roses in a distinctive arrangement and the unfinished bottle of cognac. Onlookers have gathered annually in hopes of catching a glimpse of the Poe Toaster, who has only been photographed once in the 30s. Eighty years, you ask? A long time for one person to be making the strange pilgrimage. It is suspected that the Toaster has shared his yearly visit with a son, who carried the tradition on until 2010, the first year he failed to show up. With the media lights and a crowd of hopeful onlookers ready to tackle him, as they did in 2006, it's no wonder that the Poe Toaster has given up. Tonight marks the 203rd anniversary of Edgar Allan Poe's birthday. For decades, a mystery man in black has marked the occasion with a visit to Poe's grave. 11 News reporter Kerry Cavanaugh is live downtown on what that tradition could mean, and it could be coming to an end very soon. Kerry? Hi there. Yes, people are gathering right now, all very hopeful that this is not the end of the tradition. They're all waiting to see if the Poe Toaster will show up tonight to add the traditional trio of roses and half-empty bottle of cognac to the gravesite, in addition to the already fresh flowers that you can see here. Right now, I've seen at least a dozen people, and as every minute passes by, more people are walking up. Many are from Baltimore and say they've been coming for years. In fact, some have seen the toaster in person. Others are from out of state, and they're hopeful that the toaster will resume the tradition, because if no one shows up between mid night and 6 a.m., the curator of the Poe House and Museum is prepared to declare that tradition dead. Unlike Punxsutawney Phil, the dutiful groundhog was urged out of his cage every groundhog day to tell us if winter will last a little longer. The Poe toaster apparently desires to be left alone. So remember, January 19th, Baltimore. Bring a net and a bottle of cognac, and who knows, you might be the lucky one to nab the toaster if he makes another run at the gravestone. Here's an idea for the toaster. Rig a drone with a basket containing a bottle of cognac and three roses and fly it to the grave marker, then drop and go. That way, the tradition will live on. A final note. On several occasions, the toaster left a note along with the roses and cognac. 
Some notes were simple expressions of devotion, such as, Edgar, I haven't forgotten you. In 1993, a cryptic message stated, The torch will be passed. In 1999, a note announced that the original toaster had died the previous year and had passed the tradition to a son. Subsequent eyewitnesses noted that the post-1998 toaster appeared to be a younger individual. A note left at the 2001 visitation, which happened to occur a few days before Super Bowl 35 between the Baltimore Ravens and the New York Giants, spurred controversy in Baltimore. It read, The New York Giants... Darkness and decay and the big blue hold dominion over all. The Baltimore Ravens. A thousand injuries they will suffer. Edgar Allan Poe evermore. End quote. Never before had the toaster commented on sports or other current events, nor could anyone explain the negative reference to Baltimore's football team, whose nickname was inspired by the Raven, Poe's most famous poem. The prophecy, a play on the last line of The Mask of the Red Death, and darkness and decay and the red death held illimitable dominion over all, proved inaccurate as Baltimore won the game 34-7. The toaster's 2004 note was apparently critical of France's opposition to the war in Iraq. Quote, The sacred memory of Poe and his final resting place is no place for French cognac. With great resistance, but for respect for family tradition, the cognac is placed. The memory of Poe shall live evermore. End quote. Jeff Jerome, former curator of the Poe House Museum, has suggested that the 2001 and 2004 notes may have reflected an unwillingness of the son, or sons, to take the tradition as seriously as had the father. A final note, left sometime between 2005 and 2008, was so dismaying, Jerome said, that he decided to fib and announced that no note had been left. He declined to reveal its contents. Other than that, it was a hint, in hindsight, that an end to the tradition was imminent. The following song, Annabelle Lee, taken from Edgar Allan Poe's poem of the same name, is performed by Monica Gill, G-I-L, and available at YouTube.
Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. 1001 Heroes is enjoyed worldwide and can be found at all podcatcher sites like iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbay.fm, as well as our website at 1001storiespodcast.com. Or you can chime in and tell us you're the real Poe Toaster at facebook.com forward slash 1001heroes, A-G-R-O-E-S. Please take a moment to visit us at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash 1001heroes, and pledge a few dollars a month to keep our show going. That's patreon.com forward slash 1001heroes. We appreciate your support. We also appreciate your sharing our show with others. That's how we grow. And we now have a second show called 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Just search iTunes or any other one for 1001 Classic, and you'll find it. Or go to our website at 1001storiespodcast.com and look for the Classic link at the upper right. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is our story. <laughs> 